right, just for us senior pastors, sorry, sorry. And uh, some of those pastors have been to see Esther and uh, have really given it high reviews. So I think that'll be a great trip. Ladies, I want to echo that as well. Jump in, $72, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way, amen? Stretch our faith and believe the Lord. I got to tell just a little bit of a story real quickly first and before we go right to the Word. Um, well, first of all, if you're a visitor with us, it means a lot that you're here with our church family. I'm going to have to move the service very quickly, though, today and get you out of here because Sister Sherry's on her way back from Oklahoma City, and uh, we had a new grandbaby this week, and she was grandma down there, and uh, Alyssa and I have got a lot of work to do around the house, and so pretty much, uh, and the people said, amen, goodbye. Um, so she'll be back this afternoon. Um, but this, I, I made a statement last week as a part of my sermon because I was quoting from Jesus. And when I, when I said that Jesus called his, his mother woman, and uh, got to be really careful. I know that. I know that. I got to be very careful here. So, and I told y'all, I confess that I used to call my mom woman quite a bit. And uh, it was all in jest. She, it was good. And uh, from there, so that's just between me and, me and my deceased mother now. So you have to let go. But there was a lady this week that I, I wanted to say woman to her with a little bit of just because, and I was kind to her, and, but I did tell her she needed to clean her glasses off. I will say that. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you because my heart's kind of smote me a little bit about it, but I was at the nursing home this week with Sister Brassfield, Dr. Brassfield's mother, who is uh, recovering from having a uh, pacemaker, and her friend, good friend Marilyn, many of you may know Marilyn, um, Stephen Dawkins' mother, the pastor of Full Gospel Church just east of town, Marilyn's, uh, we were talking about Sister Brassfield told her age. I asked Marilyn, because Marilyn's kind of hopping around the room pretty quickly there. And I said, Marilyn, how old are you? She said, 73. And I, and I was thinking, she's been around pretty good. And she said, well, how old are you, Brother Brown? And I said, you know, I thought, you know, the Bible says that pride goeth before a fall. And so I said, well, how old do you think I am, Marilyn? Because I was going to expect that normal answer, you know, late 30s, mid 40s. Something of that nature that I'm accustomed to getting. And she says, 63. And I said, woman, I said, well, you better clean your glass. I don't know if you hadn't cleaned your glass up. They're going to get you a room in here in the nursing home if you can't see any better than that. I didn't even, you are the first person I've even told this to because my pride has been hurt since that moment. And I asked her, I said, what would make you think that I am 63 years old? She said, you got a lot of gray in your beard. And I thought to myself, you hadn't seen Shane. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to let that go. We're going to pray for her eyes to be healed. Next week, Jace, the Lord wants to heal eyes. <laughs> I don't care where you're from. That's funny right there. It is good to be in the Lord's house today. I'm so stirred to be able to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. We're grateful for what the Lord is doing. Jace has already made these announcements, but let me go ahead and share one more with you real quickly. And, um, and, and he made those two. And th but this midweek service, though, does have a little special feel to it. And uh, Brother Michael Tatum is, is a minister. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Brother Michael is, is a black young man. And in the Assemblies of God, there's, there's not a lot of black ministers in, in the United States, and when we were at the sectional council the other night, his heart just burned. It burned for those young men and, and, and young women, at, but especially the young men on the campus of UAPB, and uh, man, our hearts was just already just joined with his, and uh, he's going to come, and he's going to share his vision for the campus, and we're going to be prepared to join with him and, and, and bring him on to our monthly support and to just know that there's going to be a bright and shining light on the campus of UAPB. Amen? And I just want to encourage you, if you're at all possible, come out and support uh, Michael. I, I think you'll be really uh, grateful for the, the friendship that you make, and, and you'll get a card of his. You'll be able to put it somewhere in your, in your house to be a point of, of remembrance to hold him up in prayer. And, um, you know, he quoted that day. He may do it again. He said, you know, it was said of Jesus, it said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? He said, the first thing you think about Pine Bluff, you ask that same question. But he has burden. He has a vision for what God can do. So I want to invite you to come out. Amen? Amen. 6.30 this Wednesday night. 
I want to ask you if you would, so now I'm on a, a four-part series that I began last week. It's going to culminate on Easter Sunday morning, and uh, it was uh, extracted from the context of seven, and uh, I went through the process, a little bit of numerology last week. I told you last week that I was going to minister concerning seven signs, and then next week, seven statements, and the day, the, on Easter Sunday, seven days. Um, you might remember the se- uh, some part of the seven signs that John records seven notable miracles of the 37 miracles that are recorded by all the gospel writers. John only records seven. He gives us detail into their lives. He gives us detail on the, in front of the miracle, the miracle, and then what happened on the backside of the miracle. But John himself culminates in his gospel, the 20th chapter, says that many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that he is the Son of God and that through believing you might have life in his name. Amen? And so I hope if you, haven't, uh, if you weren't here for that message, um, I want to encourage you. I shared with you that in this journey... There is a, uh, there's probably a broader than there is deeper. So, and sometimes as a pastor, you hope to take people into a depth, and, but, but sometimes going broad is necessary. Sometimes you have to take a step back and see, and we're going to see a little bit of that again here today. So I'm going to ask you to stand today for two verses of Scripture as we read. That's going to help create our context for us today. We're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 7. Verse number 28, and it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these, note this word, sayings. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Amen? Now we're going to turn to John. Now we're going to be in John from here forward, but we're going to uh, kind of connect a verse that kind of says the same thing. Uh, But we see what happened as a result of some of these sayings. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. So these sayings were not without controversy. These sayings had uh, had impact. There's a particular angle, particular context, uh, or content, if you will, of those sayings that I want to draw your attention to today. So I'm going to first just simply say I'm going to talk about seven sayings. First of all, that's my title. There's a subtitle that's going to come in a few moments. Seven sayings. We've read it in Scripture that when Jesus, he ministered the word, it said the people were astonished at his sayings because he had spoken with authority. Some responded positively. Others, there was a division because of those sayings. Seven sayings. We're going to ask the Lord to help us today. Amen? And we're going to pray. Whatever depth, and I'll just be honest, whatever depth that is associated with the seven sayings that I'm going to take you and I'm going to kind of cover in an overview uh, some of that depth, you're going to have to dig out yourself. You're going to have to have some early morning devotion, some late night devotion. You're going to have to pray and say, God, I want to know more uh, uh, about this saying of Jesus. I want to know more about this. And how many believe that if your heart is pure and if you determine to know and to seek him uh, for revelation knowledge, he is faithful. He is faithful. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm so blessed to be here today, so grateful for the men and women that I have the privileged opportunity to be able to share the Word of God with. I'm humbled by their, by their zeal. I'm humbled by their desire to hear your Word. I pray, Lord, today. I have, stir, I have stirred my heart. This Word has stirred my heart, God, today. But I must confess, I have had a lot of other things peripheral around me, and I pray, Lord, and some things even within. And I pray that for just a few short minutes, God, we can have, as the psalmist writes, a sila moment, a moment of awe, of reflection and pondering that, God, the Spirit of God can speak to us. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name and all of God's children said amen and amen. And thank you so much. And you can be seated. You are already being seated. You didn't need me to tell you, obviously. Um, <laughs> Let me talk to you about a couple things real quickly. So sayings, you can see the seven sayings here really of Jesus is where we're going to use it, what we're going to use as a title. Um, but I want, to take, I, want to, I, want to, I want to think for just a moment with you. So now again, we are hastening towards uh, Passion Week. We are hastening towards his death, burial, and resurrection. And doing so, I wanted to, if I very, if possibly could, broaden 
the context of just looking at Jesus. Um, I was speaking with someone at the entrance of the church this morning, and I said that, you know, the scriptures are broad and they're wide, and there's a lot of subjects, over 66 books, but it's, it's very impacting when you just kind of narrow it and hasten towards Jesus, right? And just, he, how many of you know he's the star of the show, amen? Uh, and so, uh, with this, Jesus said, I want you to catch that, he said a lot of things. Did you know it was said about what he said? It was said about what he said. No man ever spake like this man, right? They'd never heard anybody speak with such authority as if speaking directly from the Lord. He didn't have to say, yea, thus saith the Lord. He just spoke as the Lord. And so his choice of words, though, was often very controversial in the culture that he lived in. And if you follow his life and his ministry, you will, you will acknowledge this. At the end of his ministry, the plot of his enemies was to try to catch him in his sayings. Try to catch him saying something that, number one, he could be accused of blasphemy. That the Sanhedrin would be able to accuse him of blasphemy and they could in turn uh, begin to um, apprehend him. You also note that they would uh, attempt to accuse him of speaking something against Caesar. And, and that was a means in which they would attempt to catch him in his words. There was a division. Um, one such saying, though, as I pondered the many sayings, uh, there are a number of which, but I'm going to kind of just begin to narrow it towards one in particular uh, that, that really seemed to stand out above all others. Now, there was often that Jesus referred to himself by his own words as the Son of Man. That was not quite as controversial. Now, many others referred to him as the Son of God. He actually, now it's a little bit debatable, but he actually did not necessarily refer to himself as the Son of God. Uh, he would allow others to refer to him as the Son of God, but he typically did not. His favorite means was to say, as the Son of Man, the Son of Man. You'll see that all throughout Scripture. But there was one or con conversation that seemed to catch my attention as I was reflecting upon the sayings of Jesus. And I want you to go there with me real quickly. It's just a couple pages back or chapters back. It's in John chapter number 8. And we're going to be in John a little bit here. I mean, we're going to be in John because these seven sayings are going to be extracted from. But I want you to look at this. Now, if you know much about John chapter 8, it is there's great spiritual depth to this. There's a revelation that, that we could, I could really easily rabbit trail down towards, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay faithful to what's on my heart here today. But let's pick this up in the 53rd verse. It's on the screen. And it says, this is, this is, his, uh, this is the, the Pharisees in the conversation that Jesus has been having, a dialogue all through the 8th chapter. It's of great depth. And ultimately, it comes to this moment where they say, Are you, art thou, greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Who are you saying you are? Are you saying that you are greater than even our father Abraham? Now notice what Jesus said in his response. He said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. Now, this is powerful dialogue, and it is controversial, and it is divisive, right? If you think that Jesus is inclusive, he's inclusive as long as you bend your will to his will, right? He's the Lord, and our responsibility is to, again, bend our will to his. And he said this, he said, it is my Father that honoreth me. You don't know nothing uh, you say he's your God. If you have known him, he said, but I know him. And if I should say I don't know him, I would be a liar like unto you. Wow. He said, but I know him. And he said, and then I keep his what? I keep his saying or his word. It is actually logos in scripture here, the word. And then he said, now notice this. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, I'm going to pause on that. I didn't intend to, but I can't help it. It's just inside of me to do so. Many have asked, when did Abraham see 
Jesus. When did he see? He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Well, when Abraham went up Mount Moriah with his son and ended up laying him on the altar there and had his hand raised in the air with a dagger in order to take the life of his son to honor what he, where God had spoke to him. Now, we know God was not behind child sacrifice, but was testing Abraham. Right, And the angel of the Lord halted the hand of Abraham in the, in the air and said, don't slay your son. The scripture says that Abraham lifted up his eyes. And when he lifted up his eyes, he saw a ram in a thicket caught by his horns. Now, many of us translate that, or many people say that's Jehovah, Yahweh, right? Jireh, the Lord who provides. And that's correct. But there are others that translate it that it is Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord who sees. Or in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And so with it, if we look at it that way, in the moment that Abraham raised his eyes and his eyes caught a ram in the thicket, his eyes leaped forward in time to the day that Jesus would be hung on the tree. So it's powerful, but we got to move off of it. But that's, I wanted you to see that. Well, the Jews then, this is agitating them. Remember his words were divisive. And he said, you're not yet 50 years old. And yet you have seen Abraham and this statement right here. This thing, it just reverberates. He said, verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the moment that he used the words that he did, I am. Those religious Jews, those, those uh, Jews uh, that had studied the Torah all their life, immediately knew what type of association he was making about himself. Because that particular phrase had been first revealed to Israel through Moses or to Moses at the burning bush. We're going to read it very quickly. And this is the argument that Moses is having with God when God is convincing Moses to go to Pharaoh. And when Moses simply says, I can't go, I who am I even going to tell them has sent me? What, what's the, what is even the name? What am I going to say? What am I even going to say? In Exodus 3 and 14, the scripture says that God said to Moses, here's all you got to tell them. Is you just tell them, I am that I am. That's all you have to tell them. You say unto the children of Israel that I am has sent me unto you. And it is, was known by those in the audience that when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, there was an association with God that a normal man could not make. Right? So that word there actually, and I won't try to even attempt to sound like I know anything about the Hebrew language or the Greek language. I'm just going to give you the definition. It simply means to be. I am. To be. Or to, ex or to be to exist. So the eternal God, the I am, the existent one, without beginning and without ending, the I am. Not the I was and I will be, the I am. Not the one that's getting better, because I addressed that last week in the song. No, he doesn't need to get better because he's always the best. Come on, somebody. And so with this, this is the mystery of the Godhead that is being revealed very quickly and briefly in those words. The Father and the Son, separate yet one, eternally existent. John had began his gospel with this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Scripture says the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without anything, without Him, there was nothing made that was made. In Him was a life, and that life was the light of men. I am. When He said, I was, I, I am, the people of ancient Israel understood that context. Paul said this of Jesus. How many believe this today? He is the image of the invisible God. Creation declares to us a measure of God's glory, right? But God was veiled behind, behind the veil in the holy place to the people of ancient Israel. But you and I see him through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said this, he is the image of the invisible God, and by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth. He is before all things, and by him all things exist, therefore before Abraham Thou not yet 50 years old, before Abraham, before he ever got the assignment to go up the mountain, before he ever raised his hand, before he ever was stopped by the angel, before Abraham was, I am. 
<laughs> I am. Not I was and then I became. I am. I don't know what you need today. I'll tell you what. He's I am. Right? And, and he's, he doesn't have to become something for you. He's already it. Right? He doesn't have to go where you're going. He's already there. Right? Because that's who he is. And so when Jesus' sayings often, again, created division. Now, some, when they heard them, they were like you. They marveled at the measure and the weight of them. And so, again, many of the scholars that have studied the Scriptures far more deeply than I have had determined that John had recorded seven, not just sayings, but seven I am sayings in his gospel that reveals to us either a measure of the character of Jesus, his nature, or his purpose. And that's what we're going to glean over the top of today. And as we do so, I'm just going to pray that it's going to be a stirring in your spirit. It is in mine. Because as we do so, again, I'm going, I'm going in width, in breath, if you will. You've got to go in depth. You've got to take this on your own and try to ask the Lord to help you. John chapter number 6. We were there last week. We're going to back up for just a moment. And so we're going to, again, glean over the surface of these. And we're going to let the Lord drop these down in our hearts today. Jesus' conversation, this is on the backside of him having walked on the water. On the backside of him multiplying the bread and the fishes and then the conversation that he's had with, again, the Jews, the 31st verse. They said, our fathers have eaten manna in the desert. They ate manna in the, in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, when they heard this, they said, Lord, evermore. I like that. Lord, evermore. My goodness, give me this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am. Come on, somebody. Can you catch that? I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you shall never hunger. And if you believe on me, you shall never thirst again. Now, remember, we're going to put this in if, to the best, our original Jewish context. So the reference here is Moses had given the children of Israel bread from heaven. And that, he, that bread, to a degree, was supernatural. The writer of the psalm says that it was angels' food. It sustained their body. When it came from heaven. It fell to the ground. They went out. They gathered it. They patted it. They made cakes. But the moment that they bit into it, it began to nourish their bodies. It sustained them for four 40 days of journeying in the wilderness. It gave them strength to get up every day, to go across the rugged terrain. But the, Jesus noted that they ate it and they, are, they have passed. It did not give them eternal life. But he said that I am the true bread sent down from heaven. And if you eat of this bread, then you shall never die. Glory to God. Man, that started, give me some of that bread. Amen. Now I'm going to just move you systematically, and then I'm going to close on one in particular that the Lord slayed on my heart, John chapter number 8, the conversation that Jesus again has with the Jews. And I'm going to put you in context. It's very important for us here. John 8 and 12, you've heard this before. Let's see it. But I want you to see it in its proper context. Jesus coming to them again and said, I am. The second of the sayings of I am. I am. I may be feeling it more than you guys are right now. I'm the light of the world. The world's a dark place. There's darkness in this world in which we live. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but you shall have the light of life. Let me give you the context of it. I think it will help you understand the magnitude of what Jesus said. The scripture tells us in the seventh chapter that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And there were multiple ceremonies associated with the Feast of Tabernacles, but one in particular involved the lighting of four lampstands. Not just the lampstands that were the small ones that you could put in your window or the one that was in the holy place. This was in the court of the women, scholars tell us, and that these were 70 feet high. Young men would be chosen to shinny up there and to, to bring uh, to the, the wick and the, and the oil so that they would burn bright. And when they burned bright, it said that all the courtyards in Jerusalem could be lit at night because of those lampstands. And they did so to commemorate Israel during the Exodus journey when God went in front of them by a fire by night. 
and lit up the, 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 the city. And so with this, real quickly, it's also prophetic of destiny. It tells them that to the Jew that, that, they, that they had been chosen to be a light, a city set on a hill that could not be hid, a light that would not be put under a candlestick. But by the last day of the feast, by the time that we arrive at this passage in John chapter number 8, they tell us that those lights would have been extinguished because that part of the festival would have concluded and it, there would have been a darkness across the city. And Jesus then chose that opportunity to say those four lights that were in the courtyard are not the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Come on, somebody. And I love this even farther because as you study it out, and I can't take in all the nuances of it, but I hope that this bears witness with your spirit. But if you put it in its context as well, there are many of the audience that believe that the Torah, which was the light and the truth, and we believe that it is light and truth, but there were, it, there was, it was limited to a certain degree until the true light would come. Because how did we know that? The immediate context of John chapter number 8 and verse number 12 when he said, I am the light of the world, a certain incident has taken place where they have brought a woman that was caught in adultery. And they had cast her at the feet of Jesus because she was caught in adultery. And the light of the Torah had illuminated them to that moment. The light of the Torah had directed them to the place of judgment with stones in their hand to stone her and to kill her. But that light was limited. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he lit the path to mercy, come on somebody, and to grace. And he challenged the men that had stones in their hand and said, he that is without sin among you, you're the one that can cast the first stone and not a single man condemned her and Jesus said then neither do I condemn you woman go and sin no more he's the light of the world and he lights the path to redemption and to forgiveness number three today and I know today there's not really a there's not as much of a flow because we turn the page almost with every one chapter number two I love this one because it puts us in an agricultural setting to which I, the pig farmer, know a little bit about. But now the Jewish person would not know much about this. Verse number 7, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am, the third saying that we're going to mention today, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. Now earlier in the same context, Jesus had spoken of the sheepfold. In this particular moment here, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. If you know anything about that, the way that they raised uh, the sheep in those days is when they went out into the field with the shepherd that they would bring them oftentimes to a sheepfold that was often made of rock. They didn't have the wire fences that we have today, but they would make little places that had been hedged in and protected with a singular entrance so that the sheep could come in at night and, and perhaps avoid being uh, uh, the predation of wolves and, and of bears like we see with da King David. And uh, the scripture says here, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. I want you to think about that. Now, why is that so important to us? You say, Pastor, well, I understand it. See, we understand some of these things, but to that first century Jewish audience, listen to this. In Psalm 79, 13, here's what the psalmist said about the people of Israel. He said, we thy people and the sheep of thy pasture. What Jesus was actually revealing in that moment is that he was the singular entrance into the sheepfold. Not being born of the lineage of Abraham, not keeping the Mosaic law, but to go in and out into the sheepfold is you have to come through him. Are you, that's a common theme that is associated with these seven sayings, I am. We're going to turn to the fourth very quickly. I'm skipping one. We're going to come back to it. John chapter number 11, verses 23 and 26. We were here last week. We're going to talk about it again today. In verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. This is the conversation with Jesus and Martha just prior to actually standing in front of the burial chamber where Martha's brother Lazarus is four days uh, dead. Everybody remembers that story a little bit. We went into it in greater depth last week. But I want, I want you to see very quickly, I went over this. I didn't talk about it in great depth, but I'm going to mention it briefly. And Jesus said in the 23rd verse, thy brother shall rise again. And when he made that statement, Martha said unto him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
But Jesus said unto her, I am, if somebody's catching it with me today, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, he's never going to die. Do you believe that? And I tell you what, what a powerful word that this is. Because to the Jewish people, the Jewish expectation, according to Scripture, was a resurrection on the last day. The prophet Daniel had prophesied that there would come a last day. And many that sleep in the earth would awaken. Some to shame and contempt, others to everlasting life. The power of this moment is that Jesus' raising of Lazarus is going to show forth his power to one day raise the dead. It's going to show forth his power. Did you know they tell us, and I didn't go into this last week, I'll mention it very quickly, but some believe that the Jews of the first century in Judaism held that the spirit did not actually vacate the body until the fourth day. Perhaps that's why Jesus delayed going to Bethany. And so that the spirit would still be either in or hovering over the body until the fourth day. And so Jesus goes to validate that he has power over both life and death. Jesus said there is an hour coming when all that are in the graves are going to hear my voice. And if you hear the voice of the Son of God, you're going to live. And Lazarus heard his voice, uh, heard his name when Jesus called him forth. I wonder, have you heard his voice? I heard his voice. He called me out of darkness a long time ago. But I believe God's calling a lot of folks out of darkness in the generation in which we live. Right? God's calling men and women. But I believe, and I want to, I preached last week on everlasting life. I want to talk about it very quickly. It's not in my notes, but I just want to drop it down in your spirit one more time. And I just want to just say this. Do not lose sight of the greatest gift that God has given us, and that is eternal life. Don't lose sight in our pursuit for a successful life, a blessed life, an abundant life, our best life now, whatever, all of that. Let me tell you, the greatest gift that God can give you, because no matter how good your life is, there's still going to come a day in which you're going to pass into eternity. The greatest gift that you can receive from God the Father is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you receive it, it'll be like you never even die. Death will have no stronghold over us any longer. Child of God has no fear of death. I'm going to say that one more time. Now listen, I'm not saying we don't fear the dying process. I'm not saying that we wouldn't struggle with going through a long bout of sickness or even a, a very difficult death that could take place uh, tragically and traumatically. But all I am saying is, is that you and I have the hope of eternal life dwelling on the inside of us right now, glory to God. Right now, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Immediately, the moment we breathe our last breath on this side of eternity, we breathe our first breath in God's glorious kingdom. Glory to God. That's the greatest gift, and that gift comes to us through the person. Jesus said, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Glory to God. Number five today, John chapter 14. I'm trying to put you in the context today, and I know that there's not as much of a rhyme this is almost like reading the Proverbs for a moment. The Proverbs changes subjects so often, and I'm changing subjects. Every one of these deserves their own sermon. I understand that today. But my, my hope when I sat down for this series was, I said, God, I pray that I can ask the church family to step back for a minute. Step back and see a broader spectrum. See the good, let's journey with Jesus just a little bit. I've taken you from the Galilean Sea, where we have seen him walk on water, uh, breaking bread on the, on the seashore, uh, multiplying fish, uh, to being in a burial chamber, to being in Jerusalem where they're about to stone a woman. We're seeing a breath of Jesus. How many of you know the more I look at him, the more beautiful he becomes to me, glory to God. The more I become amazed at his wonder and his grace and his goodness and his love and his affection for us. John chapter number 14, the fifth I am, is a famous statement. And I'm going to back it up just real quickly because it actually comes to us. It comes to us in response to a statement that Thomas has made. Thomas has made a statement and said, Lord, he said, we know not where you're going. And how can we know the way? That's powerful. 
Jewish belief was in the way. There was something. There was a belief that the Jewish people had. They believed that the religious and the societal structure pointed people to the way of God, pointed the way to God. But Jesus said, I am the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Let's go ahead and say this one more time today. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not through your good works, through your good efforts. It's not through uh, 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 bowing in a Muslim, uh, uh, you know, temple somewhere. It's not through uh, a Jewish belief. Uh, it is through Christ, the fulfillment of that Jewish belief. He said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father but through me. But let me go ahead and take you into a little bit of greater depth on this if I can for just a moment. Some believe, according to Jewish tradition, that the entrances into the tabernacle and the temple were named three things. Some believe, I can't say this to be totally for sure, but I've seen it in the Talmud. I've seen that it's been quoted from the Jewish Talmud. I believe it's also uh, drawn attention to by Josephus and also Alfred Edersheim, a, a famous Jewish uh, historian that I have read uh, quite a bit of his material over the years, that the entrance either into the outer court of the temple or the tabernacle or the entrance from the porch into the temple itself would be a, a, a doorway. Either one, they've debated which one, but that was called the way. And then the door that took you from there into the holy place was called the truth. Where the holy place with the candlestick and the table of showbread and the golden altar of incense. The holy place where the angel appeared to Zechariah when he burned incense on the holy place. And then behind the veil, the veil itself was called that door. If, it, if you will call that a door because it was an entranceway, if you will, was called the life. Now if that be the case and the Jewish people have put all their faith in their both their religious and their societal structure as a way to God. You can see why it would call division when they hear this because Jesus is saying in the backdrop of the temple he's saying you think that's the entrance into the presence of God the way the truth he said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me you can't go in by the blood of a bull now, that's why we have revelation looking back through the writer of Hebrews we don't enter into the presence of God today by the blood of a bullock or of a goat do we or by the ashes of a red heifer or the sprinkling of uh, of the uh, on the unclean we don't do any of those things we come in boldly today by virtue of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us we come in confidently welcomed into the presence of almighty God he is the way he's the truth and he is the life he's the only access point to the father and lastly in this before I culminate with the one that's on my heart the most John chapter 15 Again, Jewish context. I know y'all aren't shouting me down today, but I bet you will when you have some time to think on these alone. Come on now. John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. I'm trying to bring out the Jewish context of all these passages because without it, I don't know that we fully understand the, why it caused such division. His sayings, sayings, I'm the true vine. Okay, so I'm the true vine. Why would he say that? Why would he say, I'm the true vine? It's because Israel perceived themselves as the vine. Let, let me read a passage to you real quickly. I don't think I gave them the scripture, so I'm going to read it real quickly to you. It's three verses that's found in Psalm chapter 8, or Psalm 80, not chapter, but Psalm 80. And it's verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read it real quickly. If you turn, you can turn there with me. It's fine. Here he's speaking, again, that context of Israel. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the river. So there was a strongly held belief that Israel was the vine. That's why if you read too fast, you'll read quickly over what Jesus said. He said, I, not your Jewish heritage, not the mark of circumcision, 
I'm the true vine. If you're going to be in the, in the kingdom, you got to abide in me. Let's read on further. Every branch in me that bear fruit, he'll take a, he, he, he said that does not bear fruit, he will take away. And every branch that bears fruit, he will purge it that it will bring forth more fruit. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. What a way to live your life. What a way to get up every day and say, without you, God, I can't do anything. Without the life that Jesus gives, I don't have breath. I don't have understanding. I don't have any communion or fellowship with God. I can't relate to my fellow man in the right spirit unless he gives me the grace to do so. And I have to abide in the vine. I want to encourage you today. Are you abiding in the vine? Are you by faith abiding in Christ? He said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine and you are the branches. It's a powerful passage of Scripture here today. These six sayings of Jesus, we can see here as we culminate in that context, we may presume each one calls to a degree certain division amongst the Jews because they were controversial. It was challenged them at their core, the core of their religious belief, the core of their faith. They believed that it was because they were direct descendants of Abraham that they had fellowship with God. Jesus would call them out and reprove them. And say, you say he's your God, but you don't even know him. Because if you don't know him through me, then you don't know the Father. I can see where the division was created because he was literally upsetting their religious structure. But for you and I to look back on it and see the impact of that statement, I am. How many of you know he still is? Right? He still is today. He's your bread. He's your light. He's the door. He is the resurrection. He's the way to the Father. And he is the vine. I'm so thankful for Jesus today. No wonder the angel of the Lord fell down before him and worshiped him. We see in the book of Revelation. But I want to talk to you about one in closing today that's so personal to us. I think we just need to allow this to be in our spirit. We'll close with this one. I know you say, Pastor Brown, you say, sometimes I feel like when I do a sermon like this, that maybe I do disjustice to it because I don't take you into depth and each one of these demand, again, their own sermon. But at the same time, we almost live in a culture of biblical illiteracy and we need a broader picture at times. You need to step back. You need to know that when Jesus said, I am, that that was reverberating throughout Israel because in essence, he was saying what God said when he appeared to Moses 1,500 years earlier. John chapter number 10 is where we'll close this message out today. So we're going to find. Remember I said that these I am sayings of Jesus reveal to us a measure of his character and his nature, his purpose and who he is. And he said to us that he was the bread, and he said to us that he was the light, and he said I was the, that I'm the door of the sheepfold. He did say that, and I thank God for that. He said I'm the door. But then he takes it into a greater depth in verse number 11. And I want us to read it, and this is in closing today, and we're going to try to do our very best in understanding this if we can. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Let's just let's read it again. Maybe we'll get deeper on this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives us life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. What was he saying? Why, why, why those choices? I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to come back to those other verses. Let me help you understand this today. It's going to help you. It's going to hopefully let you see who he really is. This is what was said about David. Jesus was the messianic Son of David. The psalmist said this about David. He chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfold. From following the ewes that were great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. 
So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Messianic expectation for the Jewish people was that when he would come, he would come in the spirit of David, the son of David, who was taken from the sheepfold to lead the people of Israel. But I want to draw your attention just very quickly with this because it was David that had prophetically revealed to us the heart of who Jesus is. In the most famous of all of the Psalms, when revelation was given to him by the Father, and he looked prophetically to the one who would come, when he would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores your broken soul, hurting and wounded. He comes to you and he finds you right where you are. And he pours in oil and wine. He will lead you in paths of righteousness. He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will fear no evil. For he is with us. His rod and his staff will comfort us. He will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I know sometimes you feel like you need to rebuke the enemy. Sometimes you just need to sit there confidently and say, I'm not even worried anything about you because I'm standing in the presence of the shepherd. Glory to God. And I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And I give my life for the sheep. Let's read the rest of that text to close that out. I'm going to ask those musicians that are coming to join me back here on the platform today. John chapter number 11. Let's read this. Jesus said, I am. I am. Is he that to you today? He is to me. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. John chapter number 10, verse number 11. Jesus said these words. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives us life for the sheep. A hireling and not the shepherd will seize the sheep who are not. They see the wolf coming, and they leave the sheep, and they flee. The wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Is he your good shepherd today? He is mine today. And he said, they're known of mine. And as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for Come on, read it with me. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's where you and I got folded in, glory to God. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus here in this context today puts the finality here in the context of the seven I am sayings that John records. There's great depth in each one. They reveal a person of Jesus Christ, his character, his nature, the call of God upon his life. He is the bread to eternal life. He is the light to the Father. He is the door, the entrance into the kingdom of God. He is your resurrection. He is the way, and he is the vine. But I want you to know today, as personal as you need him to be, he is the shepherd. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Men will back away from you. Sometimes you'll look around and wonder where is the church. But I'll tell you one you'll always find near, and that's the shepherd. The good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. He's the good shepherd. I thank God for Jesus today, don't you? Today on this Sunday morning when I've taken you into the writings of the beloved one, John, who pillowed his head, King James English, on the bosom of Christ on the night of the Passover and had heard the heartbeat of Christ. And many years later, as he's the aged apostle, and he writes to us 
this epistle that's 21 chapters long, and he shares with us the depth and the heart of his relationship. And he gives us different aspects of who Jesus is. And last week that we saw that there were seven signs that revealed his power and his glory. And we read those seven signs, and, and we read them, and we think on them. And he said, I want you to see his power so that it might spark faith inside of you so that you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. When he walked on water, when he healed the sick, when he multiplied fishes and loaves, uh, that we can look at it marvel and say, no man was like that man. Truly, that was the Son of the living God. And when we put our faith in him, we have eternal life. And then John said, I'm going to record seven sayings that were divisive to some, controversial to others, and others heard it when they did. We stood in awe of him because never had a man spake like that man. Moses, the one that we look to as a patriarch and a leader of the people of ancient Israel, heard in the bush the audible voice of God say, I am. But never a man say, I am. But now, many years later, this man, Jesus, opened his mouth and said, I am. I am the door. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm your bread. I'm everything that you need me to be. And in your most hurtful place in life, in your darkest place in life, I'm the good shepherd. I will come to you and I will mend you and I will bring you into my fold. That's who he is today, church family. Nothing's changed. He's the same yesterday. He was your good shepherd yesterday. He's your good shepherd today. And he'll be your good shepherd in the morning, glory to God. Why don't y'all stand up with me? And for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, we ought to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And we ought to enter his courts with praise. And we ought to say, Lord, we love you. You're the great I am. There's none like you in all the heavens. You're the lily of the valley. You're the bride and the morning star, God. You're the lover of my soul. You brought me into your banqueting table and your manner and your banner over me is love today, God. You're the good shepherd today, God. You're all that I need, all that I can ever hope for, God. God, may I know you in spirit and in truth. Who will worship with us for just a moment? I'm going to give an invitation. Matter of fact, I'm going to give the invitation in front of the song. Listen, if you don't know the good shepherd, come right now. Come right now. If you say, Pastor Brennan, I don't know him. I knew about God. I knew there was a God, but I don't know him as the good shepherd. If you don't know him as the good shepherd, I'll be, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not the good shepherd, but I'll be waiting on you right here to pray with you. And when I do, I'll introduce you to the good shepherd. The rest of you, I'm going to encourage you to let's just worship the Lord for just a moment today. The I am today. God, we love you today, God. He's my shepherd. Is he yours today, church family? Come on, church family, you're not alone. You're not, you're not.
Come on, church family. Come on, church family. Come on, he's our, he's our. He is so good. I just have felt in my heart the Lord is calling people to himself right now. He is calling people. I gave, you know, I, I, I don't give the clearest cut invitation at times, but I just want you to know today, I, I, I love to see people come forward. Obviously, we, we long for that, but that's not, our, that's not the end. That's not the intent. The fullest is that you might come to him, right, to come to him today, amen. And I just, wanna, I just want us to pray for just a moment because there could be somebody. We've been seeing people get saved uh, from a couple of weeks ago when Dr. Brassfield ministered two or three people. Last week, there were two or three people that raised their hand. And we're just, we, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to come to put your faith in Christ. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time. Just a moment of time today. He said, I'm the good shepherd. Because I give my life for the sheep. He gave his life for you. Why don't you give yours to him? He gave his for you. Will you give him your heart? Will you give him your mind? Will you give him your soul? Will you give him your strength? Will you give him all that you are? Will you come to him? Just abandon yourself. Abandon all that you've ever been all that you've ever done, and come to him. The scripture says he will in no wise turn you away. Did you know he's waiting on you today? He's waiting. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, would you pray with me right where I am that I can make a profession of faith in Christ? Pastor, I don't even know how to pray. I need you to help me today. You know, if, if I pray in my own words, I, I, I think I'll be foolish. I won't have all the right words to say, well, I'll help you. If that's you today and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me today because I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want him to be the good shepherd to me. Come on, somebody. I want to know him. Jesus reproved the generation and his, the men of his generation. He said, because you don't know the Father. You can know the Father through the Son. You believe that today? If that's you, I want to ask you. Very, no one moving around for just a moment of time. If that's you, slip your hand up. Let me pray with you. If there's anyone today, I want to give the opportunity. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? I knew my spirit today. Is there someone else today, young person? What about you, sir? Young man, today, is there anyone else? Church family, let's pray a prayer collectively. Let's pray it in agreement. And let's help this, this gentleman that raised his hand. Let's help lead him to the Father today. Let's pray a prayer that's something like this. Say, Father God, today I come to you, and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He was buried and raised again. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart by your spirit and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. I want everybody to look up here with me just very quickly. Now, listen, that's not the end. That's the beginning. Isn't that right? But let me say this to you just real quickly. I don't want anybody walking out of here and saying, it can't be that simple. If it's more than that, then it, 
then, then, then uh, everything's off. Everything's off. It has to be him, not us. Right? Salvation is a gift by faith. Again, there was a price. It's just you don't pay it. He paid it for us. Isn't that right? And so you believe, the scripture says, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you are saved. Anything beyond that is to argue with God. Anything beyond that is to call God a liar. Right? God said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. And if you're saved, then you're a child of God. You're a sheep in his pasture. You came in by the door, right? You didn't tunnel around or try to climb over. You came in by the door, right? And now you can go in and out and find pasture because you're going to follow the good shepherd. I want to pray a closing prayer with you and over you today. My prayer is this week, my prayer is this week that you're going to walk with your shepherd. That you're just going to be in such communion and fellowship that if you're hurting, you know he's going to bring healing. If you feel if you feel downcast he's going to lift you if you're in a painful place he's going to be there with you right i believe that's the shepherd let's pray father i love you today god i did my very best to just glean to glean over the top of seven i am statements in hopes that it might spark faith in the hearts of the people to believe that jesus is the Son of God. That by making these statements, in essence, he made himself to be God. And we believe that he is. I pray, Lord, today, that the things that have been spoken have stirred the people to want to study deeper, to learn more about the bread, to learn more about the vine, the true vine. To learn more about the resurrection and the life. To learn more about each one of those seven I am sayings of Jesus. That we might believe that he is the son of God. I pray God in conclusion over my church family and with my church family. If there's one of these that I want them to, I want them to walk out of this room with today. Is that he's the good shepherd. Lord Jesus, you said, I am the good shepherd. We sang a song today in honor of you, Lord Jesus, that said, my soul has a shepherd in the valley. Let that reverberate in your heart today. You've got a shepherd. You're never alone. He's always with you. He's there on your darkest day. He celebrates with you when everything is good. And he'll find you when everything seems broken. That's the shepherd. He gave his life for you. He loves the sheep. He loves you. God, I pray today, my Father, let the people feel the warmth and the touch and the love and the kindness of the shepherd this week in their journey of life. I bless them. If there's any virtue in the words of a pastor who says, I bless the people, then God, I pray that you will honor these words. I bless the people today, Father. I bless my church family. May your spirit be upon them this week. May you comfort them. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much, church family.